Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. There is so much going on in the world right now and so much to talk about. We beat Trump. Now let's save democracy. We'll be digging into that and a few other topics. Oh, and by the way, over on our Facebook site, there is a link to my Hidden History book series. But you can read all about it over on our Facebook site. But I think that we need to begin by simply acknowledging the reality, the sad, simple reality of what's going on in America right now. As I was you know, coming upstairs here to do the show on MSNBC, they were profiling a food bank in New York City. Uh, last night on CNN, they were profiling a food bank or a food distribution center in, I believe it was Dallas. It was in, uh, it was in one of the Texas cities. And the line was like a half a mile long. Millions of Americans right now are hungry. One in five children in the United States has what's called food insecurity. In other words, they literally don't know where their next meals are going to come from. One in five. Tens of millions of Americans are hungry right now. I mean, the Trump Depression has thrown tens of millions of Americans out of work. Forty years of Reaganomics have gutted the wages of the people who still have jobs. But Mitch McConnell and his Senate Republicans, they don't give a damn. And they plan to block any kind of legislation that might fix this problem. Because they only exist to serve their billionaire masters, their donors. Almost 20 million Americans are going to lose their unemployment benefits the week after Christmas. But Mitch McConnell and his uh, Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Over 12 million Americans now have COVID. And millions of them are going to suffer long-term consequences. Strokes, dementia, heart disease. Uh, devastating chronic fatigue. One of the largest hospitals in New York just set up a whole unit just to deal with people who never were hospitalized, had, quote, mild cases, and now they can't get out of bed in the morning. It looks like what's going on is that the COVID virus flips on the immune system so hard and so fast that the immune system just never turns off. Well, when the immune system never turns off and starts attacking the body, depending on what part of the body it's attacking, you have a bunch of diseases that we already know about. Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, lupus. I mean, these are all conditions where the best guess is that most forms of arthritis are autoimmune disorders. There's a reason, you know, the plaque psoriasis, there's a reason that there's this whole family of drugs that are advertised on television every day that 
when you read the fine print or, you know, when you listen to them, don't take if you blah, 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 you know, if, if you may be around fungal infections or if you've been exposed to tuberculosis, well, those are all immune suppressants. And to deal with diseases where the immune system has attacked the body and it's causing all these conditions. Well, now we've got a whole brand new one. And apparently it's going to affect millions of Americans. In fact, apparently it already is the so-called COVID long haulers. So here we have, you know, 12, 13 million Americans with COVID. And we don't know if it's going to be a million or three million or five million of them, but some, many of them are going to have long-term ramifications that in many cases are going to destroy the quality of their life. And we don't know if it lasts months or years or how many years it's going to shave off their lives. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't give a damn about any of it because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Millions of young people have their futures held hostage. They can't buy houses. They can't go out and start a a business like many young people used to. I, I started my first business when I was 17 years old. It ultimately failed when I was 19, but I learned from that and started another one when I was 20. And that one did pretty good. I mean, that's how you learn your lessons, right? Young people can't do that anymore because they've got student debt. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, the the Trump Great Depression. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't intend to do anything about the student debt crisis. They were happy to give a trillion and a half dollars right off the top to the top 1% of Americans back in 2017. At the same time that literally the entire student loan debt of the United States right now is a trillion and a half dollars. And they said, oh, no, we can't do that. We got to worry about the deficit. We'll give a trillion and a half dollars to the billionaires. Jeff Bezos can get the money. No problem. We'll give it to Bill Gates. We'll give it to Charles Koch. Now, yeah, easy. But students with student debt, oh, no, you, you can't run up our budget deficit like that. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. All of America is right now facing a climate crisis from wildfires to derechos to hurricanes to droughts to floods. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans, they don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. America's CEO and fat cats continue to outsource jobs to other countries, devastating the American working class. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Insurance companies are aggressively promoting these privatized so-called Medicare Advantage programs that leave seniors high and dry when they get seriously ill. But Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. The pharmaceutical industry is ripping off America. We literally pay more than twice as much as any other country in the world. And for some drugs, we pay over 100 times more than other countries in the world. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Mining and drilling companies are drilling and ripping up our public lands, our wild areas, sacred Native American sites. Land that was set in trust hundreds of years ago in some cases by presidents with foresight like Teddy Roosevelt. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Trump tore thousands of refugee families apart and 666 little children are facing Christmas knowing that they probably will never see their parents again. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Millions in red states are going to miss early treatable cancer, diabetes, and other diagnoses because their states refuse to expand Medicaid. But Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. While China and Europe are building world-class high-speed rail infrastructure, new hospitals, new schools, and state-of-the-art research facilities... America continues to crumble, as we have since Reagan stopped taxing and paying for these things in 1980, because Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Whether it's mass shootings from assault weapons, the Supreme Court gutting our rights, America has gone from being the land of the free to the land where you're only free if you're rich. We need courageous leadership. We need a new deal, a great society. We need to lean on Joe Biden to get this done. This is the Tom Hartman Program.
because the Republicans don't give a damn because they only exist to serve their billionaire donors. Hey, we have a special video up over at TomHartman.com. And it's about how FDR in 1944, in fact, January 44, in his uh, State of the Union address, talked about how important it was to add rights to the Bill of Rights. The original Bill of Rights was all political rights. He said it's time to enshrine economic rights in our Constitution. I would add, like most of the governments of Europe have done. And this includes the right to housing, the right to food, the right to, to a good job that pays well the right to an education, including a college education, and the right to health care. It's pretty powerful stuff. And frankly, I think that what this coronavirus crisis is proving is that we are all in this together and that Reagan's thing about government is never going to help you was just a, a load of crap. And so you can check it out over at TomHartman.com. And welcome back. Maybe you have ideas to add. What are some of the other things that we can't have? You can't have nice things in America anymore, right? Because the Republicans only serve their billionaire donors. I mean, a week before the election, Fox News pointed out that 71% of Americans think we should have a national health care program. Why don't we have it? Well, because there are people who have made literally billions of dollars off the insurance industry. And they are paying off politicians left and right. The pharmaceutical industry spent $9 billion on television advertising last year. You think the television networks are going to go after them? Somehow I doubt it. They're serving their billionaire over, uh, overlords too. I mean, the damage that conservative Republicans have done to this country over the last 40 years is mind-boggling. Mind Our schools are falling apart. All of our infrastructure, it's just, it's obscene. I don't know what to call it beyond that. Uh, let's try obscene. Brett in Seattle. Hey, Brett, you've got some thoughts on this? Yes. Hey, Brett. Go, I go was enjoying it. your rant, and I just want to say that Biden has a stark choice in 2021. He can either be Roosevelt or he can be Hoover. Yeah. Or he could be Roosevelt or he could be Clinton. Clinton didn't do that much damage and he did a few good things, but no big initiatives, right? Yeah, um, but Obama but had Obamacare. To do with anything. Say that again? What Hoover failed to do was anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no doubt in my mind Biden's going to do something. The question is is he going to do enough? Is he going to take on an ambitious agenda? The people that he has appointed so far to his cabinet. I find encouraging. I don't oppose any of them. I realize some of them have kind of mixed pasts, but and none of them are people that you would call Bernie Sanders progressives. But, you know, I think that the Overton window has shifted in America. I think the conversation on the Democratic side anyway is still generally speaking a progressive conversation. So, that gives me hope. What about you, Brett? It gives me hope too, and thank you for your rant. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Brett. Great to hear from you today. I mean, the, you know, the bottom line is that I think I've caught most of the things. I mean, we've got young people who feel like they have no future. We've got schools that are crumbling. We have roads that are filled with potholes. You can track most of this back to Reagan's tax cuts and the subsequent tax cuts by other Republicans, by George W. Bush and his father, and now Donald Trump. It's mind boggling. What have I missed here? Anyhow, we'll be back with your calls in just a moment. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Talk media for the sane among us. We'll be right back. I'm speaking at the Bioneers 2020 conference. It's running December 5th and 6th and 12th and 13th. My keynote is how all life is organized around democracy.
Hi, Tom Harbin here with you. It's just increasingly mind-boggling to me how far behind America has slipped into essentially second or third world status now as a result of 40 years of neoliberal Reaganism. Ronald Reagan started this, cutting the top tax rate from 74% down to 25%, thus making it impossible during any Democratic presidency to do anything positive because they're all screaming about, oh my God, the deficit, the debt. And at the same time, uh, in fact, Reagan tripled the debt so that he could, you know, so that they could scream about it when, when Bill Clinton came into office. Reagan and Bush more than tripled the debt. And, you know, the result is we've been paralyzed for 40 years. And the media has gone along with it. Everybody's gone along with it. Our schools are falling apart. Our hospitals are old, many of them. Our, our, our roads you know, are filled with potholes. Our Amtrak is a joke. China has built enough high-speed rail in the last 15 years to go from Los Angeles to New York and back. They built a high-speed rail system, a 300-mile-an-hour rail system, that was the equivalent of Chicago to New York City. They built that in a year and a half. And we, oh no, we can't even we can't even afford to speed up the train the trains during you know in the Northeast Corridor. We, I'm sorry, you know, you know, Reagan privatized the railroad tracks, and we just, it's just, we can't do anything. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court continues to gut union rights, to gut environmental protections, to gut civil rights, to gut voting rights, and to gut our protections against big money owing, owning politicians. Why? Because, hey, you know, we keep getting Republican presidents who put conservatives on the court. And how do we get those Republican presidents? Well, usually by lying through their teeth. Oh, yes, I'm for the people. No, you're not. You're for the billionaires. You know, FDR and LBJ took this on with the New Deal and the Great Society. And I think a Green New Deal, I think it's time for it. And putting John Kerry in charge of, you know, he's the climate envoy. You know, people call him czars. Uh, I don't think they like the language of czars, uh, but they're calling him a climate envoy. But there's, there is so much that we can do. And there's so much damage that 40 years of conservative and neoliberal economic policies have done to this country. It's amazing. Some other things in the news that I think are worth mentioning. Rachel Maddow highlighted this. I was surprised. I mean, it was the first time that I'd seen it in any of the media. The story that I picked up was from Raw Story, and it originated by David Badash with the New Civil Rights Movement. We've had this 18-year agreement with the United States, Russia, and a whole bunch of European countries called the Open Skies Treaty that allows all these countries to fly spy planes over each other. And the whole idea is to prevent any one country from starting to amass troops on their border. Like, you know, like in 1937, if the world had known that Hitler was amassing troops on the border with Poland, things might have been different. And in fact, this was one of the ways that back in, I think it was in 2014, that the United States government and Europe, because we all share the information, all figured out that there was something going on in Crimea on the edge of Ukraine. So Trump says, okay, we're going to pull out of the treaty and we're going to destroy the spy planes. We're literally, right now, as we speak, there are guys with torches and welders taking, apart, taking these planes apart so that when Biden comes in, he can't say, go back up in the air and spy on what's going on in Europe. Meanwhile, you've got two countries, Poland and Hungary, that are defying the European Union. The European Union is about to pass out a bunch of money, right? Everybody pays dues into the EU and then the EU passes money out, just like the federal government here in the United States. You know, here in Oregon, we spend lots of, we send lots of money to Washington, D.C. They take that money and send most of it back to Kentucky and Mississippi. Well, the Kentucky and Mississippi of the European Union right now are Hungary and Poland, countries that are no longer democracies. They're run by strongman autocrats. And they're saying, we want the money. And the European Union is saying, you can't have the money unless you respect the rule of law. Now, these are two countries that have st stacked their courts with fascist judges, what we would call conservative judges. And those judges keep ruling in favor of wealth and power and Duda in Poland and Orban in Hungary. And the European Union is saying, that's not a real justice system anymore. You have stacked your courts. 
we're not going to give you the money. There's a real crisis going on there. But, you know, what role are we playing in this? None. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's vaccine czar has a whole pile of money in the company that's making the the vaccine that's getting federal money. And they said, oh, well, you know, he's a contractor. He's not an employee. No, no conflict of interest. Oh, and I have a question for you right after the break. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. In fact, here's a hint. Here's the question. Where do you think Donald Trump's presidential library should go? We'll be right back with your answer. Our book today for the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Age of Eisenhower, America and the World of the 1950s by William I. Hitchcock. This is from chapter 19, page 475, about three quarters of the way through the book. Republicans of the 1950s knew how to sell a product. They pioneered the use of television advertising in politics, and at their national conventions in 1952 and 1956, they mobilized actors, dancers, acrobats, sports figures, crooners, jugglers, and sword swallowers to infuse their rather dull message of peace and prosperity with some pizzazz. In middle 1960, mid-July 1960, though, as the GOP faithful gathered in Chicago at the International Amphitheater, the same hall in which Ike and Dick had formed their political tandem eight years earlier, the convention planners were running out of ideas. A giant elephant named Koa, on loan from Louisiana, proved to be too big to amble down the aisles of the hall and had to be returned. The torchlight parade of 500 young Republicans had to be canceled due to the fire hazard of their kerosene-soaked rags. Plans to get Henry Fonda into costume as Abraham Lincoln, a role he had played woodenly in the 1939 film Young Mr. Lincoln, were scotched when Fonda turned out to be a Democrat. Half the hotel rooms in Chicago remained empty a few days before the convention. Besides an absence, absence of hoopla, The top Republican leaders had serious worries. A Gallup poll on the eve of the convention showed that since 1952, the Republicans had lost support among business and professional voters, white-collar workers, and farmers, three key demographic groups. And they had made no inroads among skilled and unskilled laborers who favored the Democratic Party by a ratio of four to one. President Eisenhower's personal popularity had masked serious weaknesses in the Republican Party. As the Republicans gathered in Chicago, John Kennedy, a junior senator with little international name recognition, led Nixon in the polls by four points. And uh, I should add, Nixon was the vice president, uh, Eisenhower. The press corps, bored to tears by the lack of drama in Republican ranks, worked hard to breathe life into the candidacies of New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller and Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, who might, they earnestly hope, challenge Nixon for the GOP nomination from the left and the right. The Washington Post editorial page noted that both parties inclined toward moderate nominees like Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, and Nixon, but cautioned that, quote, an excess of moderation can yield a pudding devoid of flavor or shape, end quote, and hoped Goldwater would add a dash of, quote, pepper to the otherwise bland old party's Chicago solemnities, end quote. Indeed, old guard supporters of the dear departed Bob Taft now had a new champion in the ruggedly handsome conservative from the desert west. It was not to be. Goldwater did not seek the nomination and backed Nixon. Rockefeller, whom most veteran Republicans distrusted for his ideological elasticity and his vanity, pressured Nixon to adopt a number of Kennedy-like platform planks on issues such as defense spending, civil rights, health insurance, and housing. Nixon, terrified that a Rockefeller boomlet might snatch away his long-sought prize, caved into these demands before meeting with Rocky in New York on July 22nd three days before the convention opened. Rockefeller, in turn, threw his support to Nixon in a feeble gesture of party unity. In extracting concessions from Nixon on the GOP platform, though, Rockefeller managed to weaken Nixon's case that he and he alone had the toughness to confront Khrushchev on the world stage. The real challenge Nixon faced in taking the leadership of the Republican Party did not come from Goldwater or Rockefeller. It came from Eisenhower. Of course, Ike supported Nixon's presidential bid, since Nixon offered the best hope of extending the Eisenhower legacy. But the distance between those two men, which had always been great, never seemed wider than in 1960. Eisenhower had become the world's most respected, most recognized, and most liked man. For all of his apparent political weaknesses and occasional lapses in his mishandling of the U-2 affair, he occupied an unassailable place in the pantheon of great figures of his time. His war service alone would have 
placed him on history's pedestal, but he followed that with eight years of dignified leadership of a country whose global power had reached unprecedented dimensions. When Eisenhower arrived in Chicago on July 26 to address the Republican convention, over one million Chicagoans lined the streets along his route to the Sheraton Blackstone Hotel. Banners and flags draped every storefront and lampposts in a blaze of red, white, and blue. It was Ike the crowd wanted. A loudspeaker in a truck following the motorcade blared out a popular tune by the Four Knights. I love the sunshine of your smile. The president, visibly moved, told reporters outside the hotel, it's one of the finest crowds I've ever seen. On Tuesday evening, Senator Dirksen, a famously orotund speaker in a profession known for producing magnificent windbags, came to the podium in the amphitheater to introduce the president. Few recall that eight years earlier, Dirksen had nominated Senator Taft. Anyhow, the book is The Age of Eisenhower by Hitchcock. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. So uh, Michael Beschloss had uh, tweeted out, where should the Trump presidential library go? Or words to that effect. And (laughs) some of the answers. Uh, David Simon says, The Hague. I'm I'm down with that. I, I like that. Another says, Built with rolls of toilet paper in Puerto Rico. Mexico will pay for it. That's a good one. Obviously, it belongs at the site of the Bowling Green Massacre, this uh, thing that uh, Kellyanne Conway just made up one day. Another person says Randy Quaid's beard. Uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. That's uh, a lot of people suggested that. Others, uh, Moscow. Trump Tower, Moscow. Oh, Guantanamo Bay. That's a great idea. The Taj. Rikers Island. I mean, that's actually a possibility. Lots of ideas. Lots of ideas. Anyhow, let's pick up your phone calls here, see what's on your mind today. Paul in Somerville, Texas. Hey, Paul, thanks for listening to us on Progressive Voices. What's up? Yes, sir. I turn out to be one of the long haulers. Oh, no. Tell us about it. The end of August, I was feeling real bad. I went on the CDC site, took a test, and it said go to the ER. So as soon as my wife got home, we went to the ER, tested. Two days later, they said, you're positive. And uh, by that time, I was having trouble walking, uh, went to bed, was basically stuck there for two, two to three weeks. Don't remember a lot of it, but two to three weeks. And it, I just wow. couldn't get out of bed. I, I drugged myself back to uh, work. Uh, then I went to see my doctor to see what was going on, if she had anything, because my fatigue was overwhelming. And... Um, my doctor uh, said, well, she didn't think that it was COVID-related, but go get an MRI. So I got an MRI. The next day she calls, and uh, you got to come in and see me because you've had a stroke. And um, apparently it wasn't a very bad stroke because it didn't paralyze me or anything, but she could see it in the MRI. And uh, then she did some more tests and everything and uh, sent me to get a, a chest CAT scan, which is scheduled for this afternoon. And she mentioned an aortic aneurysm. So that's got me scared. I want to see the CAT scan. Uh, yeah. Then yeah. first part of December, she's got me going to see a neurologist. And I just, it's like I've, I've got a, a quart of energy a day. 
and I've got to be very careful about how I allocate that because if I do a quart in the morning, the afternoon I'm gone. And um, wow, you know, I'm 68. You know, the, the biggest thing that I've been thankful of is I didn't have to go in the hospital. <laughs> but yeah. now this, like the long term's hit, and um, they had a show on 60 Minutes on it uh, Sunday. And the yeah, doctor that started the clinic had COVID, and shortly after the 60-minute interview, she died of a heart attack. So it's scary because we have no idea what it's going to do. Right. You know, this has been almost completely ignored by the media. I mean, a quarter million deaths is pretty shocking, and everybody's looking at this. Wow, a quarter million people have died from this out of the 12 million who are infected in America. But out of that 12 million who we know are infected the majority of them showed up to get tested because they had some kind of symptoms, just like you did. In fact, in many states, yeah. it's the only way you can get tested is if you are symptomatic. And in fact, in, in probably in most parts of the country, that's the case. So we have probably 20 or 30 million people, maybe 40 million people who have COVID, but we've got 12 million of them who had symptoms bad enough that they went out and got themselves tested and we know about it. And nobody knows if 10 million of those 12 million are going to end up like you, Paul, or whether it's going to be 3 million or whether it's going to be 6 million or whether it's just going to be a, f a few hundred thousand. Obviously, it's going to be a yeah. lot more than that. I mean, if just that one hospital in New York already has more than a thousand patients who are in your situation, they're, they're what, what are called long haulers. Um, are, are you finding that um, things are getting better day by day or are, do you feel like you're stuck in this place? No, they're slowly getting better. At first, when I got back to work, uh, I, I'd have to walk aways. And they, they just wanted me to come open the gates in the morning, and they'd send people to do the stuff that I usually did because I just couldn't walk. And uh, mm. I got better. I was on. I was using a walker for about two weeks and then a cane. And about a week ago, I got rid of my cane. But my legs feel like they're jello sometimes. And uh, wow. I, I, I just feel like sinking down, you know, and squatting down on the ground. And I've done that before, and I couldn't get back up. I had to get somebody wow. to help me get up again. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 this could be like the, you know, the uh, chicken pox giving you shingles in 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we've got these idiots running around without masks thinking, well, you know, I'm not over 70. I'm not going to die. Uh, yeah, no, you, you might not die. In fact, you probably won't die. Only about 2% of people who get this die. But what if 20% of them end up like you have with a stroke and with long-term COVID syndrome? I mean, the, and every day you see these reports in the media and on, on the internet and on Twitter and whatnot of, you know, people going into their local store and there's some ass there, you know, who's, who's proclaiming their right to breathe on people and doesn't wear a mask or wears it below their yeah. nose or whatever. And it's a giant screw you to all of us. And they think they're being big and brave and masculine and they're being stupid. I mean, it's just insane. Do you have any idea, Paul, how you got infected? No, I work at a site that's a household trash collection. And people stop mm -hmm. by and drop their trash in a big bin, and I compress it, and that's about it. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm exposed to a lot of people, but I've always worn a mask. I'm still wearing a mask because turns out that some people are getting it twice. I don't want to get it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I'm one of the essential workers, and uh, my doctor now thinks that it is COVID-related. <laughs> yeah. You know, so good. she apparently did That's some research good. after I talked to her, and she, you know, she's uh, sounds like she's more into doing something to help if she can. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, keep us up to date on how you're doing, would you? I sure will. You know, give us a thank shout. Thank you for your show. Three and yeah, thank you, Paul, and thanks for uh, you know helping wake up people to the severity and the reality of this. I really appreciate it, and thanks for listening to us down there in Somerville, Texas. I appreciate it. Lou in Pueblo, Colorado. Hey, Lou, what's on your mind today? Hey, good morning, Tom. I was going to make a statement, but I'll, I'll just quickly interject that I have, uh, had, I'm now recovered from COVID after 10 months. So uh, just everybody hang in there. It does gradually fade. Uh, but what I was going to call you 10 about, it took me 10 months. I'm just about, it was, I never got very sick. And it, it was like the best description was every membrane in the body got it. And then, you know, flushed them out one by one. And 
last thing has been my kidneys been plugged up with all these dying cells. And uh, uh-huh. but I'm about back to normal after ten months. Well, uh-huh. what I was calling well, about let's to hope get that happens comment, to Paul. Let's hope it happens to everybody. Or better yet, let's yeah. get rid of the virus in D.C. Uh, yeah, there you go. I would like to make a uh, statement here that I think the the best and only chance the fascist party has is the Democratic Party. Since 1980, we've seen a full heart, right wing, unwilling to compromise fascist party. And then the Democrats always say, well, Americans want us to get along. They want to compromise. So they slide a little bit more to the right. They've been sliding to the right for 40 years now. You can barely put a piece of paper in a lot of ways between the Democrats and the Republicans. If the Democrats represented America and Americans, there would be no fascist party. They wouldn't get any votes at all. People are voting for them because they don't see the Democrats doing anything. I'd like to yeah. comment on that. I completely agree with you, Lou. I keep pointing out that, you know, Donald Trump picked up Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown's and the entire progressive caucus, frankly, longtime argument that America's industrial policy since Reagan, when, you know, when Reagan, quote, you know, Nixon, quote, opened us up to China, but Reagan was the guy who really did it. Reagan and Bush, during that 12-year administration, they negotiated NAFTA, they negotiated or they laid the foundation for a bunch of other treaties. They put through the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, the World Trade Organization, all of this stuff, all this neoliberal stuff that basically transported all of America's factories, or not all of them, probably 80% of America's factories to China or Vietnam or Indonesia or Malaysia or Mexico, you know, all of that was a Republican idea. And it has been embraced now by two Democratic presidents. And I'm hoping that this one, you know, that Biden will figure out that, you know, one of the main reasons that Trump got elected in 2016, to the extent that he did, was because he said, I'm going to put an end to that. His flailing about for the last four years has kind of given it a bad name. But I'm with you, Lou. Thanks a lot for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. On this week's Science Revolution, why are the Republicans saying the mask mandate is anti-freedom? If you're hooked up to a ventilator and you can't breathe, you're not free. The Republican idea of freedom is literally killing us. Nick Dearden with Global Justice Now joins me to ask who should own the COVID vaccine that was funded by We the People. Plus, Teresa Brown, RN, author of Critical Care, drops in to explain why the COVID task force needs nurses. It's a lack of nursing representation despite their essential and visible role on the front line of this national pandemic, and that needs to be fixed ASAP. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi. It's funny that the guy mentioned uh, the Democrats. I don't quite agree with him. And I'm going to tell you why right now. Let's just say that there's two candidates for the Democratic Party winning Georgia, and then McConnell loses his leadership. So the Democrats would have the majority because of Harris uh, being able to break ties. Joe Manchin has already said that he would not vote for a end of the filibuster. The filibuster. Yeah. Exactly. And so we're back to we're back to square one, 2009. I'd like to remind that guy who just called and you that 109 pieces of legislation passed by Nancy Pelosi in the 2009-10 Congress was filibustered by Mitch McConnell. These were progressive bills for the most part. So, well, it's, it's um, over 300 now in the last two years. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say, yeah, exactly, because we're back there again, although he's the majority leader. He wasn't in 2009-10, but because of the filibuster, he got his way. Right. That's not going to help. And that's where the corporate Democrats, and I'll put Feinstein in as one of them, and I guess she's, I hope she retires. Boxer retired. She was the wrong one to retire. Yeah. So that, that's when you have the corporate Democrats compromising with the right wing fascists. And you get 
you know, tax cuts for the rich and subsidies for oil companies uh, extended and so on and so forth. So we, the people, we kind of get screwed, don't we? Real quick, though, too, Tesla, Elon Musk, he's the second richest man in the world now, apparently, behind Jeff Bezos. He overtook Bill Gates. And I got to wonder, when is this billion, when are the billionaire class going to realize that fossil fuels aren't the way to go anymore, and they start putting their bucks toward renewables, because we have a man now second richest in the world, and he went the way of making electric cars and, you know, the batteries so you could spur solar energy from your rooftop panels, which I don't have yet, but I'd like to get one sooner or later. So, you know, I just wanted to put that out there because money likes to follow money. Yeah. And I think these guys are figuring this out, and that's a good thing. (laughs) Generally speaking, in fact, I think it's a very good thing. But A, we've got to do something about this massive disparity in wealth in America. And B, there are a number of banks now that are refusing to lend money to oil companies that want to drill up in the Arctic. And they're doing it because their shareholders, their boards of directors, and their customers don't like the idea of despoiling the, you know, ANWR, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And the Trump administration just promulgated a rule that punishes banks if they refuse to loan money to oil companies. I mean, that's how bizarre it is, Dennis. That's, that's where we're at. Dennis, I got to run, but thanks for the call. Amazing stuff. What an amazing time we live in, eh? You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, you're it. So uh, one last thing, and then I'll, I'll pick up you know, some more of your phone calls here, but I just I wanted to toss this out and perhaps make this like one of the pieces that, that I would love to discuss. But Nicholas Cateron published this over at Use Journal, a blog on usejournal.com. And it's fascinating. I've been doing some research on this and, and I just, I'm not exactly sure where to go with it. The one thing I haven't done yet is go back to read Madison's records of the debates in the Constitutional Convention, which I'm going to do this afternoon when we get off the air. But the Constitution, Article 1, Section 3, Clause 4, says, The vice president of the United States shall be the president of the Senate and shall have no vote unless they are equally divided. So Kamala Harris is going to become president of the Senate. Now, since the John Quincy Adams era, the president of the Senate's job has been basically taken over by the leader of whichever party has the majority in the Senate, the Senate majority leader. And that person, first of all, the Senate chooses a senator pro tem who is supposed to preside over the body. And I believe that that's like the longest serving member of Congress. And I think that's Chuck Grassley. I could be wrong on this. But the president pro tem, in other words, the senator who is running the Senate on the day to day basis, is essentially pro tem, you know, filling in, temporarily filling in for the president of the Senate, which is the vice president, which will be Kamala Harris. And that person actually rarely does the work. What they do is they cycle senators through who become the acting president pro tem of the Senate so that a whole bunch of different senators get the chance to sit up on the chair and bang the gavel and, you know, learn how the Senate works and all that kind of stuff and familiarize themselves with parliamentary procedure. But what if Kamala Harris were to show up in the Senate on January 21st and say, I'm taking over here. The Constitution makes me the president of the Senate. The Constitution does not mention the Senate majority leader. So Mitch, you're not in charge anymore. I don't care if you've got a majority or not. I'm going to run the Senate. And we are going to have a debate this afternoon on raising the national minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour. And several Democrats have offered legislation to that, and I am going to open the floor for a debate. 
And then after America has seen that debate, we will hold a vote. And you Republicans can continue to vote for $7.25 an hour and look like fools. Maybe one or two of you will break ranks and join us. And then the next day, it's, you know, I realize, Mitch, that you don't want to have a conversation about the defense budget, but we're going to have a conversation about the defense budget. And then the day after that, it would be, Mitch, I know that you don't want to have a conversation about the $600 billion in gifts and subsidies we give to fossil fuel billionaires in the United States every year, but we're going to have that conversation today. Now, this has never been done. Thomas Jefferson wrote the rules for the Senate that don't include this provision. But Thomas Jefferson, which, I, which by the way, the Senate is still using. They modify them every two years slightly, but you know, it's, they're still basically Jefferson's rules for the Senate. But Jefferson came along after the Constitution was written. In fact, Jefferson wasn't even in the United States when the Constitution was written. He was in France. And the Constitution says the president of the Senate is the vice president of the United States. In fact, Dick Cheney used that argument to say that he couldn't, he didn't have to be accountable under the Presidential Records Act. He could hide the fact that he was meeting with oil executives with his, with his energy task force leading up to the Iraq war as they were dividing up which parts of Iraq they were going to sell to which companies. He hid those records. It ultimately took a lawsuit from Larry Clayman's right-wing group, Judicial Watch, out of, out of Florida to break those things loose. And his argument for not breaking them loose, Dick Cheney's, was, I'm not in the executive branch. Until the president dies or is disabled and I step into that role, I'm president of the Senate. I'm in the legislative branch. Whole different set of rules over there in terms of transparency and accountability. Presidential Records Act doesn't apply to me. So Cheney may have already done half our work. If you know anything about this, give me a call. I would love to hear from you. I, I am just beginning to dig into this. Just like way back in, in March when a conservative friend of mine in D.C. said, hey, you know, the Republicans are talking about uh, having the uh, states simply appoint electors for Donald Trump, the 12th Amendment. And I started writing about that in March. I'm just starting to dig into this. We have a month or so. What are your thoughts? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I'm uh, still pondering this idea or suggestion or, you know, whatever you want to call it, that Nicholas Carteron uh, came up with of Kamala Harris marching in and saying, I'm the president of the Senate. I'm taking charge here. And somebody may object. It may go to the parliamentarian. And, uh, you know, that may lead to something very interesting. 
So again, I'm, I'm asking if anybody here has enough experience in the Senate or has an understanding of the Senate rules. I mean, I, I'm pretty well informed on these things. And I'm going to do, as I said, after I get off the air today, I'm more of a deep dive on the research on this. I spent about an hour on it yesterday, and I was basically not able to find anything. And, uh, you know, is this one of those things that, you know, like, like uh, jurisdiction s- stripping, you know, where Congress can pass a law that says the Supreme Court can't o- review it, that, you know, has literally never been tested, may or may not work, could be blown up by the Supreme Court, who knows? Or is it something that's solid? Like I said, I'm, I, you know, the first thing I'm going to do today when I get off the air is read Madison's notes on the Constitutional Convention. I want to find out what, what they were thinking about that, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath for anything huge. Let's see here. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I believe that Trump paid off his debt to Putin by having Pompeo withdraw from the Open Skies Treaty. And Trump and Pompeo didn't have Congress's permission to pull out of that treaty and destroy those planes. They are guilty of treason. And then I wanted to answer one of your questions about the Trump Library. I'm going to call Congress tomorrow and say there needs to be the Trump cemeteries. He doesn't deserve a library. We need to honor these poor people that have died of the COVID-19. That is an interesting idea. Yes. That is an interesting idea. Thank you. Um, and it's something yeah, we, I, think, we think alike. We think alike. Yeah. You wonder if Congress could, could appropriate a little bit of money to build a mausoleum for ashes, you know, because you can put a lot of people into a mausoleum That's if you're just sticking true. little urns in. To build a mausoleum in every major cemetery in America, there's probably, yes. you know, five or 10,000 of them. And, uh, you know, appropriate 100,000 bucks each, uh, you know, just be a few million dollars, a few tens of millions or even hundreds of millions and, mm-hmm. and call them Trump mausoleums, you know, in memory of the people that Trump killed with yeah. his lack murdered. of uh, response to the. Yeah, well, however you want to define it. I, I don't disagree with that well, characterization. I, you know, I think that it's yeah. uh, a more manslaughter than murder, but um, yeah. Some way of pointing that out. That's a good one. Jessica, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you, and I, I appreciate the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. I'm curious, Paul, what you think of this idea that uh, Kamala Harris could walk into the Senate and say, I'm taking over here, I'm the president. I don't know where that's coming from. I, I can't speak to it because I haven't it comes heard from the- Article 1, Section 3, Clause 4 of the U.S. Constitution says the vice president of the United States shall be president of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. And that president of the Senate role has been subordinated by Senate rules over the years to say that whoever the majority party appoints as their leader gets to be functionally the head of the Senate, although the Senate also elects a Senate pro tem, which is traditionally the the oldest guy in the Senate. I think it's Chuck Grassley right now. And that because that pro tem position is in the Constitution in the line of secession. But they don't even have the president pro tem actually run the Senate. They rotate it just for convenience and ease and everybody gets a, a, a chance to play. But I don't understand why under the Constitution, Kamala Harris can't come in and say majority leader of the Senate is a position that is not in the Constitution. President of the Senate is a position that is in the Constitution. I am the president of the Senate. I am going to allow a vote on the HEROES Act. It may lose. I'm going to allow a debate on it. I'm going to allow a vote on it. I'm going to allow a vote on raising the minimum wage. I'm going to allow a vote and just basically take control of the Senate. Can you you imagine? I I mean, you're a pretty good constitutional scholar. Any idea why that wouldn't work? I think it should be tested. I think that it might be taken to the Supreme Court. And of course, we know where the court stands right now in terms of. But yeah, I think all of these things that we've been talking about. I mean, this idea that the uh, like expanding the court and actually reapportioning the 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 House of Representatives are all ideas that should be talked about. Those are the ways that we can start to fight the mean thinking that uh, that uh, forty years of right wing talk radio and forty years of Reaganomics has done. Because it, it is amazing. For instance, like I I was saying that that my brother's in laws they hate socialism, but where do they go get their drugs? From Canada. But they told Canada's a, I mean, it's insane. This is, it is insane the way people are thinking. And, and, and the fact that we don't have proper representation 
through the through the electoral college and through the the, the body of the Senate, which is going to be it's going to be close. And I my prediction is it's you get two in Georgia, you get two or you get none. I think the arrow is pointing in the way of the towards the Democrats because number one, Joe Biden won Georgia, and secondly. Whoever is voting for these senators, they're going to vote for either both Democrats or both Republicans. And I think the Democrats have the momentum there. So it's going to be a 50-50 Senate in my – that's my prediction. And so Kamala Harris would be both the president and the, and the tiebreaker. So I, she has potentially a very, a very important role. And, yeah, I, I think that, that what you're suggesting should, should be tested. Why you got to lose? I mean, Mitch McConnell – Mitch McConnell pushes the envelope no matter what, and he's oh, he's just waiting. He's just it's, it's, he's just waiting to lose. I mean, he pushes it and he gets yeah. away with it, and somebody stops him. Yeah, I'm with you. And his whole argument about why he didn't have to hold a hearing for Mick, for Merrick Garland was the Constitution doesn't say that you must hold a hearing. It says yeah, you right. know you must. You, and and uh, you know so I mean let's take the Constitution literally if that's if that's the game now. Paul, good talking yeah. to you as always. Thank you very much for the call. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Ree in Nampa, Idaho. Hey, Ree, what's on your mind today? Hi. I really like what you were asking about vice president being president of the mm-hmm. Senate. I looked in the article, uh, read the article, and it's very short. It doesn't have, have a lot of information other than, you know, tie vote. But I was wondering if you could tell me the role of the vice president there. Can they include procedural? thing. So if the uh, bill comes up and she becomes uh, aware of it to lead the procedure and not make a vote, but to lead the mm-hmm. procedure of, you know, discussion and debate. And if McConnell right. won't do that, I mean, he's done it. He's done the same thing when there's vague information about what he can do, what he can't do. He comes up with his own rules. More or less. And I'm thinking. Here's the problem, Ree. There's an essential conflict in the Constitution with regard to this. You've got, you know, one article of the Constitution, uh, Article 1, Section 3, Clause 4, that says that the vice president is the president of the Senate. Also in Article 1, I don't have it right in front of me, but, you know, from memory, it says that both the House and Senate shall determine their own rules at the beginning Mm -hmm. of each session. So Mm -hmm. every two years, the House and Senate essentially reboot. And typically what they do is simply adopt the rules from the previous session. Although, Uh you know, if they're going to change something, do away with the filibuster, whatever it may be, that's when they do it. Although it's not when they have to do it, but that's typically when it happens. So the rules of the Senate put Mitch McConnell in charge, the current rules. And the Constitution says the Senate can make their own rules. The Constitution also says the vice president is the president of the Senate. But it doesn't say what the job of the president of the Senate is. And that's that's why Jefferson wrote wrote the first version of the rules for the Senate, you know, which kind of stand to this day. And Jefferson was a big fan of splitting power up. He didn't want particularly executive power. He didn't want the executive branch to have so much power, which they would be. This would be a power grab. You know, if if Kamala Harris walked into the Senate and said, "Okay, I'm the president of the Senate. I'm I'm taking some responsibility here. That would be the executive Mm -hmm. branch arguably inserting itself into the legislative branch. Although, again, the Constitution is ambiguous about this and it would probably end up before the Supreme Court. Because uh, okay. we just don't know. Okay. And, and well, how the Supreme be- Court is going to rule. I mean, you've got a couple of people on the Supreme Court. You've got Gorsuch and, and uh, uh, Coney Barrett, who both call themselves textualists as well as mm-hmm. originalists, which means whatever the plain language of the Constitution says, that's what we're going to do. Well, the Constitution's mm-hmm. plain language says the vice president of the United States is the president of the Senate. And uh, so, but, you know, then on the other hand, it also says that the Senate can make its own rules. So, you know, we may be like, you know, go ahead. She can't monitor uh, key bills to get a debate going then, right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is this is one of those areas where it has in 240 years, it's never been tested. Just like, Uh. you know, a couple of years ago in 240 years, there had never been a time when the Senate said we're going to refuse to consider a presidential nomination for the Supreme Court or for over 100 other federal judgeships. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell pulled that thing off. And and I I think Mm -hmm. he had no authority to do it, but he did it. So. 
Mm-hmm. Anyhow, Rhea, well, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's Come great on, to hear Tom, from you. Matthew. Bob in Portland. Hey, Bob, what's up? Hey, thank you, Tom. Listen, uh, looking at the articles here, three here, I see that uh, the vice president shall be the president, president of the Senate. And the next statement is that she shows that she continues in that position. In the absence of the vice president, they'll have a, a pro tem. But so what I see here is a mandate that according to the opening statement uh, to secure prosperity and so forth and so on, the mm-hmm. people speak and there are six million other people that have spoke. She should go into the Senate and say, I'm here as a mandate. The American public have voted us in. And because of that, I am going to establish for the first time what it means to be the president of the Senate. In other words, she should just stick right to the Constitution and go for it. Like he's someone said right. and here's the question. your show. If Tell- Mitch McConnell was the vice president, what would he do? He would do this. Same thing. <laughs> take control. Right. He would do it. What, what, yeah, what go in, take names and mandate. kick ass. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to do some research on this this afternoon. You know, and we're heading toward Thanksgiving. So, um, but anyway, <laughs> we'll continue the conversation. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Seriously. It all begins when you get active. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and people around you. We all, we all need it now. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.